You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, on this bright, sunny day in the Pacific Northwest of North America. And I would like to call in... The Helping Spirits to join us here today as we talk about fear and the true nature of fear and what lies in the heart of fear. So I call out to those ancestors who lived well and died well and learned through the living of their life how to be in right relationship with fear. We call out to those who live their life as spiritual warriors, understanding that the true battle is with the enemy within. And I call out to all of those ancestors who wish to guide us, the living here, all those ancestors who wish to guide us to be better able to operate in our everyday life in right relationship with fear, letting fear be the ally that it is meant to be, but not the block or the reason or the excuse for not doing what we have come here to do. So we call out to those ancestors to be strong and true with us here today that we might open ourselves to a new understanding of this ever-present companion. And I call out to the earth below, and I give thanks on this day for the beauty and the wonder and the awe-inspiring nature of reality. I give thanks to her for the physical world that we all share. Give thanks to each of you for being here, for being part of this dreaming. So we give thanks to the earth for home, for this interconnection amongst us, for our belonging, our connection, not only with other humans, but with other living things. We give thanks to the earth for the great menagerie of life, the great diversity, and all of the ways in which it can work together if we can simply remember and surrender to our true nature. So we give thanks to home. We give thanks for place. We give thanks for the opportunity to ground again and again and again until grounding becomes our true nature. So we give thanks to the earth below and reach up from the earth to the sky above. We reach in and up and out through that beautiful sky, through all the layers of the sky, all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you call that sky energy. That energy from above, please call it down. Call it down into yourself. Call it down into our proceedings. And call it down in that timeless way that will allow this energy to be with us at whatever time we are sharing these proceedings here today. So give thanks to the sky above for protection, for inspiration, for blessing, and for the generosity and benevolence of this world. We give thanks for the mentors in our life and the champions and all those who help us make our calling possible without taking it from us or carrying the burden for us. We give thanks to all of those who show up as messengers of true yang energy to remind us of the great gift that life is. 
So give thanks to the sky above and the earth below, and we ask these energies to come together within us to bring us into balance on this day. And we call forth the energy of the heart, that amazing crucible of love and change in which all things are possible. We give thanks to the heart for being the place that the passions and the emotions and the feelings of the belly can be merged with the clarity and insight and crystal clear awareness of the mind that these energies can come together in the heart and fashion for us there in the love and the compassion and the power of the heart itself. These energies can come together to help us know why we are here. And in this heart, let us find the courage to do something with that knowing to bring those gifts into the world. So may these proceedings here today go forward as they are needed. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these things be good for all living things. And I give thanks to those of you who have donated to keep this show on the air. I know I say this every week, but it's true that this show exists because of your support, because you have been moved by something on this show and not always moved in a happy way, but moved, moved into thought, moved into action, moved in some way, and that you allow that movement in you to translate into action and to donate however generously you can to the show. Um, Please go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button and you can donate whatever amount you choose to. And all of this goes directly to keeping the show on the air so that the words, the teachings, this idea of shamanism and this answer to the question, this ongoing answer to the question, why shamanism now? Why should we bother now? Can spread as far as the computers can take them and that they can be available free to all those who are able to get that access. So we give thanks to you all for donating, especially to Elaine. And thanks for those of you who continue to support the show in many ways, including sharing it with your friends. So today we shift from a month of time, four shows where we are, we're exploring the realm of the visionary and dreams and the big dream and um, working shamanically with the things that keep us from manifesting the power to live in our dreams. And we're moving now into the realm of the warrior. This is a much misunderstood realm in today's contemporary American world, at least. So we move into some shows now about what it takes to do what it is you've been called in life to do, what, it, what, it, what is required to take action. And uh, because, of course, we've been percolating all winter, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, on what it is we're here to do, what our dreams are, what are we called to do, why are we here? Then now we need to begin to think about what are we going to do and how are we going to do it to bring the gifts we have been given into the world, to bring that uniqueness out. So today we're going to talk about facing your fears. What does that mean? It's a bit of a cliche, I admit. But nonetheless, um, it's the point. So... Let's bring this down to a very, very personal level. So for all of us, there is that first time. For some of us, it's in our 20s. For some, it's in our 30s. For some, it's in our 40s, 50s. I've even seen courageous people do this for the very first time in their 60s. But it's that first time that you confront a belief that has been part of the truth you were given by your family of origin. You confront that belief and choose to go beyond it. 
And that, that act, that act of beginning to engage what you were given in your family of origin, which may or may not serve you today, that very first time we do that, we are absolutely sure we are going to die or somebody's going to die. But it feels truly life-threatening. And the very, very first time someone approaches that first change to the system, the family of origin system, which is not just the family of origin, it's the culture and whatever the religion or lack of religion was, but whatever came together to create that operating system and the system of beliefs that you live on as truth, as reality. The very first time we confront that and change something, some belief, um, not just rebel against it, That's actually not my point. My point is when we stop rebelling or living programmed, but we choose to look at that belief and to dismantle it and choose to live by some other belief that our life has shown us is a higher level of truth, that that act always feels the very first time you do it like you're just going to die. And yet we don't die, right? We're here to tell the tale which is fabulous. And in and of itself, it is whatever the healing process is based on whatever content is that you're dealing with. But my point here today is it should also be two other things. Now, most people get caught up in the, in the content of their process and whatever it is that they're changing, their belief about authority or their mother or their father, their goodness, their voice, whatever the issue is. Uh, the, they're freed from the old belief and the fear that kept them locked. Now, there's two other things that should happen at that time that don't, and they need to. When you confront those beliefs, oh my God, I'm going to die if I change this beliefs, and you confront them, you move through them, you transform, two things need to happen in addition to that process. One is you must become suspicious of that voice of fear. I mean, face it, fear told you you were going to die and you didn't. So how trustworthy is that voice? So after the first time you have truly confronted and passed through that fear of death, you must become suspicious of the voice. That same level of fear of death isn't valid ever again after your first time. It's just like sex. There's only one first time. After that, for you to say the reason you didn't do X, Y, Z for yourself or for your soul's purpose or for your healing was because you were afraid, it's not legitimate because you've already shown yourself that that voice of fear is not entirely to be trusted. And the second thing that needs to happen, the first time you move through that voice that says, oh my God, you're going to die if you do this, is not just to be suspicious But then to become curious, why was that voice saying that? Where did that belief come from? If it wasn't true, if it didn't come from truth, then where did it come from? And why did I believe it? And why was I so sure I was going to die? And so what needs to come out of that first confrontation and, and success of moving through that old belief and that fear and not dying is not only the suspicion, but that curiosity to understand where do these fears come from? 
Now, to simplify that, so you don't run off now and go try to figure that out, I'll tell you. Because it's the same for all of us. The fears come out of our childhood and the things that happened that made us afraid, one, we were going to die. It's a very, very challenging thing to be dependent on humans because humans are flawed creatures. They're lovely. They're creative. They're astoundingly beautiful. They can be funny. They can also be a real problem. And as a child, um, those flaws can feel really life-threatening. And sometimes those flaws um, lead to serious violation and suffering and abuse. And so there are a whole lot of reasons we as children are afraid we're going to die. The other thing we're afraid of is that we're not going to be loved because for a child to not be loved feels pretty close to death. And they're, they're, they're both pretty bad. The other, there's only a few other fears because actually all of our stories that are really an explanation of why we fear what we fear really boil down to these same human fears. Death, that we won't be loved, that we will be annihilated. And people go, well, what's the difference between annihilation and death? Annihilation, death, one of the ways people resolve their fear of death is they go, well, there is no real death. It is just a transformation. So what annihilation is, is the counterpoint to that, the counterpoint fear to that, which is, no, there is no going on. You will be annihilated. You will no longer exist in any way. That's the fear of annihilation. There is also the fear of excommunication, to be sent away from the tribe. And that meant death, usually. The other fear is it's kind of the flip side of the same coin, which is the fear of abandonment, that they'll leave you behind which also meant death. And so these are all basic, deep, deep running um, psychological fears of death. They are not truths, they're fears. And that most of our stories all boil down, if you parse it all down to its essential core pattern, it's one of these. So this is, this is where our fears come from. And so what we're looking at today is what does it mean to face these fears? Because these fears are actually allies. But most of us aren't able to access the quality of relation, that, that quality of relationship with fear. We're too busy being afraid. Um, we're too busy shutting down, compensating, overcompensating. Um, nonetheless, there is always something at the heart of that type of fear. Everything has a heart. This is the thing we need to come to know. Everything has a heart, even fear. And there is always something at the heart of fear. And how do we get at, or how we get at, the heart of fear is the point of today's show. And how do we do that instead of just becoming afraid of it and repeating that pattern over and over again? So as I'm sure you're guessing already, that, that we must craft a very different understanding here of fear and that and that that willingness to understand it differently is critical to cultivate a different relationship with it and so the and the reason for this is that well because the reason for this show is hopefully to inspire you to gain the skills that you need to do what you have come here to do and bring your unique gifts to the world because that is at the core of shamanic teachings that you are unique you have a gift to bring to the world, and it is our job as your community to support you in doing it because your gifts then become the wealth of the community. It's simple. That's, that's the point, right? So for that to happen, 
every single one of us, for every single one of us to live our soul's purpose, to do what we have come here to do in whatever form we decide to do it in, grand or humble, we will have to face our fears. Of course, we'll have to face our fears. If it wasn't about that, then why would we be here? I mean, we'd be done and we wouldn't bother to reincarnate. So let's all get on the same page here. So to do what we've come here to do, we will have to face our fears. And that is the first hurdle we must get over when we decide to take action to create the life that we are dreaming of. And then it's the next hurdle and it's the next hurdle. And it keeps arising because if you are truly doing what you have come here to do, it is unique and it has never been done before. So, of course, you're going to be afraid. You are the trailblazer. You are the windshield getting bugs in your teeth. You are the arrow, the point on the arrow. I mean, so, of course, you're going to be afraid. So, this isn't about learning to not be afraid. That's a waste of time. It's about learning to be in right relationship with fear. So to act as people of power in the world, we must cultivate this right relationship with fear. And this is critical if we want to live for what we believe has meaning and purpose each day. There will be days that you swim against the tide and you have to be willing to do that. There will be days you get to go with the current. It's lovely. And then you'll find deep in the heart of the current is a great big sea monster. So it is about an ongoing, long-term Committed relationship in right relationship with fear. Fear and fearlessness are bound in a mutual relationship. They arise from each other. Thus, we must awaken fearlessness. We must awaken the courageous heart if we are going to make fear our ally. Because fear and fearlessness are mutual. They are bound together. You cannot be in relationship with one without the other. So to make fear your ally, you must find your courageous heart. And this is an ongoing relationship. It's not a course you take and check off. It's about cultivating a way of being in the world. And that to do this, we then, we then have Um, the attitude necessary for this long journey ahead of us in our life of expressing our soul's purpose. And so with that said, I want to remind people that awakening the courageous heart, which is the course that I teach to help people cultivate this right relationship with fear and awaken their heart starts here in Portland, February 11th, which is not that long from now. And you can sign up through the website, lastmasscenter.org. So I just want to remind you, there's a few spaces left in the class. It's two weekends separated by a few months. And the first weekend begins February 11th. Um, And this is a transformational weekend about the very things we're talking about today. The cultivation of the courageous heart and making fear your ally. So for us to go forward, we need to understand the archetype of the warrior very differently. In the Toltec I Ching... A very, very old new way of looking at warriorship um, is presented there in the, in the Toltec I Ching. Uh, and the wisdom and the inspiration of this Toltec I Ching speaks to the cultivation of the spirit warrior within. And the spirit warrior is part feminine warrior and part masculine warrior. That, 
that it's basically the yin and the yang of warriorship. And in that dynamic tension and imagination and expression of these two pulsing, moving, dynamic presentations of the mature warrior is an expression then of the creative force in all things. And so if you would like a divination tool that can support you in the cultivation of this right relationship with fear and this development of this warriorship or this courageous heart, the Toltec I Ching would be um, a great uh, tool for that. And you can find the Toltec I Ching at Larson Publications. Um, Google that and you can find it. I'm not sure the exact website. Anyway, as I was saying, a spirit warrior then is a person who is engaged in consciously defeating the enemy within. Um, and fear, these fears that I was discussing earlier, they arise from the enemy within or, or the enemy within is these fears. I don't know how you want to think about it, but they're, they're basically the same. Um, and what is important to understand is that these fears, this enemy within, they are the signs in life that allow us to track back to a part of ourself that is not um, embodied, not welcome, has been disowned, or is somehow not part of the wholeness of who we are. So before I go too much further, um, I want to clarify the fact that there are real fears. You know, there are fears that move through the amygdala of the brain, not the other portions of the brain where these other fears reside that we're talking about today but in the very core of things there are real fears and they are true survival-based responses to actual life-threatening situations that are unfolding in the moment so they are often sort of dismissively discussed as fight flight freeze and procreate Um, but these fears are instinctual and they're hardwired and we would like for them to be free to respond accurately and quickly as possible in real time. So I'm not talking about changing these fears today. These are, these are survival-based instinctual fears. And what we would like is for all other psychological, emotional, learned fears to be released, to be out of the way. So that this instinctual aspect of fear can function freely and accurately. The problem is, for most of us, all of these other fears, which are illusions, so all the other fears are illusions, and it's these other fears that we're talking about here today. These are patterned fear-based responses, and they were learned long ago, and they still color our perception, they drive our actions, and they clog and clutter our actual survival-based instincts. And it is these fears, these illusory fears, those projected on the moment by unresolved issues from the past that we are addressing today. So keep that in mind that we are not talking today about some kind of change to real survival-based in the moment, oh my God, I'm going to be hit by a car, jump kind of fears. Um, We're talking about illusions that are based on past experience that we then project onto the moment. So let's return here then to this um, energy of warriorship and how this operates, how warriorship, true warriorship, operates shamanically and Taoistically in our lives. So warriorship enters the mythic realm. 
I'm not talking about bullies on the playground and just um, being brutal. We're talking about something else here that is um, that exists apart from humans. It, it lives in the mythic realm, and through it, we access that realm. So the warrior energy is in and of itself an archetypal energy. It is a coherent pattern of energy that moves through us when the moment requires warriorship, or it tries to. And that's really what we're talking about here today, is that were we clear, were we resolved in all of our moments in the past, were we able to stand here with a courageous heart, then when the warrior energy was needed in the moment, it would move through us and we would act. And when the moment was passed, we would let that go. We wouldn't necessarily be identified as a warrior. We would just act with warriorship. Now, when we have a whole boatload of fears and issues and stories and beliefs around power and the right use of power, the abuse of power, then when warriorship tries to move into the moment, we block it. We don't mean to do that. It's not our intention, but we block it. And in that blockage, in that unconscious blockage, we distort that energy. And it comes out in odd, strange, shadowy ways. Now, more importantly, the moment doesn't get the warriorship that it needs. So that true clarity of warriorship doesn't come in to relieve the suffering and the stagnation of the problems in our life. Instead, we get politically correct answers and half solutions and hesitant ideas. And these things don't do what needs to be done. And, and, and largely, these, these half answers arise out of fear-based thinking. And that's why we must come into right relationship with fear. So we mobilize true warriorship, for example, when we speak the truth. And it may simply be our truth, but until someone speaks the truth, the movement towards a greater truth in the moment doesn't begin. So someone has to be willing to speak the truth, and that is an act of warriorship. We mobilize warriorship in the moment when we set healthy boundaries. For when we, when we set healthy boundaries for ourselves in the moment, um, usually simply through being congruent in our words and our actions and consistent. Um, and so to simply uh, set healthy boundaries for yourself as you go through your day is an act of warriorship. And we mobilize warriorship in an everyday ordinary life when we step away and disengage from activities that have no heart and meaning, like gossip or blaming or denial. So when we refuse to engage in those fear-based activities as normal, everyday, ordinary as they may be. I mean, we have a TV show on TV right now, Gossip Girl. When gossip in and of itself is a fear-based, non-truthful activity, it arises out of our own fears and insecurities about ourselves. So we need to understand that warriorship is not necessarily, or in in talking about warriorship today, I'm not necessarily, necessarily talking about grand acts on a huge national scale. I'm talking about your daily choices 
what you choose to say and do, how you respect your boundaries and the boundaries of others and other living things. Do you choose to throw your cup away or throw it on the street or bring your own cup from home? So you don't have to use yet another paper cup and plastic lid. These are all acts of warriorship. So we are responsible to wield the sword of warriorship in our lives, to awaken the mythic being in another. As I said, if someone isn't willing to speak the truth, that conversation that results in the greater truth for everyone never begins. And so we are responsible Each one of us is responsible to wield the sword of truth in our own lives, to awaken that mythic warrior, that that mythic being in others. We're not responsible for what that person does with that, but we are responsible for our own warriorship to awaken that energy in people. In this way, In awakening the mythic in the person, warriorship dignifies the human. We must not be afraid to draw the sword and act with clarity and discernment. That is what allows dignity. And this this is a really challenging place of understanding, understanding warriorship from this Taoistic and shamanic perspective. Because we face atrocities in modern day warfare. And so how do we understand, or how do we hold an understanding of warriorship that actually dignifies the human when modern day warfare is atrocious on many, many levels to the earth, to people, to beliefs, to art, to many, many things, to life. How do we understand this and have the courage to live it? This is the most crucial point from Taoism that allows us to understand any of this. Is that warriorship relies on the goodness of the other. True warriorship is based on the assumption of the goodness, the equality, the, the equal value in the other. And that this is essential to understanding true warriorship. So the warrior then can only wield the sword or throw the punch that wins in a sense. If they trust the goodness in the other will allow the other to heal from the wound inflicted. This is, this is critically important in truly understanding warriorship and rising out of a sense of warfare and misuse of power and make our way back to an understanding of the warrior as the training ground for the right use of power. And that is based on the assumption of oneness, of divinity, of goodness in all things equally, all things, and that if one cannot hold that awareness, one's heart is not courageous enough to be a warrior. So warriorship, in its true sense, is not based on creating enemies, 
It is based on seeing the goodness in all things equally and the willingness to wield the sword or throw the punch that wins, that inflicts the winning wound, can be made only because the warrior trusts the goodness in the other to heal. To assume otherwise is barbaric. To attack someone else, something else, without the assumption that it will be able to heal and survive that wounding is barbaric. So modern warfare is barbaric in this, in this regard, in this sense. So what does it mean then when we, when we, we justify war to declare that the other is evil? And that we use that as the rationale to fight and to kill. This in and of itself is dehumanizing. Not only to the other who's been declared evil, but to us. To the, to the, to the aggressor. It is dehumanizing and it is without dignity. True warriorship dignifies the human. The warrior and the, the peer. The, the other, in a sense. That it dignifies the humanity in things. It is not a dehumanizing expression. So it is essential to warriorship to understand this basic assumption then of goodness and the ability to heal. And if we bring this back to ourselves then, if we do not own our own capacity to wound, if we do not own our own capacity to be wounded, then we cannot engage in warriorship. Warriorship. So, for example, there is a warriorship in the artist who is willing to create ugly, bad, awful things in the pursuit of that beautiful thing. So, in other words, the artist wounds through the misplaced line, the, the wrong brushstroke, the wrong color, just the, the mess of creativity. That is a wounding, to wound and be wounded in art. But the warriorship of art is to go ahead and do it anyway. You place that line in the wrong place and you smudge it out and you place it in the right place. But that, that is this, this act of warriorship. And that is what the Taoists are speaking about when they, when they bring that into the, the realm of the human and of healing. To be alive, we must embrace our capacity to wound and to be wounded. And in that is that embrace of our goodness and our capacity to heal. And so you must wound to grow and heal. You must be wounded to grow and heal. If this is not happening, we are not alive. And in, in my four-year training, the first two years, the first year is the healer, the second year is the warrior. And we learned that dance, that dance between being willing to wound and be wounded and that we will heal and we will heal others. And the dynamic of that is part of the process of growth. And to, not, and to be afraid, to be unwilling, to be, to be so still caught in our wounded child that we will not go forward until every single thing is made safe. Is to die. 
Now, with that said, it is your responsibility as an adult. So for everyone listening to this show over the age of 18 in this country, that defines you as an adult. Okay. It is your responsibility to make the world, your life, your day, yourself safe for your wounded child so that child can heal and become the healthy child archetype that it should be. That is a part of your healing process. But unless you, the adult, are willing to wound to be wounded, that healing process is never going to happen. It doesn't happen by making everything safe. It happens by dignifying yourself and making yourself as the adult the courageous person who can wound and be wounded and grow and heal so that that wounded child has the space to heal themselves. So we are responsible for being available to heal the wounds that we create. We are responsible for being available to heal the wounds that we create through our failures in life. And I mean just the little ones every day. So we're responsible for being available to heal the wounds we create through our failure. And to do so, to circle back around and to heal those wounds is to take responsibility and complete things. So completion leads to future generosity. If I circle back around and complete something, at the moment, we may have to shake hands and walk away, but it lays the ground for future generosity. To, to not circle back around, to leave things incomplete, leads to future violence. It's a Taoistic understanding, and it seems a bit dramatic. But in other words, lack of closure for anything that has been energetically or spiritually um, or physically intimate, that any engagement, that lack of closure in and of itself is brutal. And because it leaves this brutality hanging, it lends itself then towards future violence. Whereas to circle back around, as challenging as that is, and to, to create a kind of completion, that sets the, future, sets the ground then for future generosity. And so these are the fundamental understandings Taoistically about warriorship and how we need to engage in life um, to be able to grow and to be alive and to heal. Um, so given all of that then, what is fear? And as I said earlier, fear and fearlessness are bound. They are mutual. So courage arises from and with fear. Like the yin and the yang of all energy, they are in relationship with each other. So in life, when a fear arises, what, what we would want to have happen then, understanding this mutual relationship between fear and courage, the first thing to do would be to notice, I feel fear. No assumptions, what that means, just the noticing, I feel fear. 
Now, assuming this isn't a real fear, like I'm about to fall off a cliff, I need to step back. But the kind of fear that we're talking about here today, the fear that arises out of our own illusions, our own stories, our own fear-based patterns. The next thing after I feel fear would be the belief fear is an illusion. So if fear is an illusion, then I need to look deeper. I need to be able to see through the illusion to understand what is actually going on. And ultimately, shamanically, we want to look to the heart of the fear. For in the heart of that fear is the seed of courage. And it's that courage that we need to appropriately relate to the fear itself. Because the courage arises out of the fear, and in a certain sense, the fear rises out of the courage. And so in this way, this ability to see into the heart of the fear and in the heart of the fear to find the courage itself that will allow us then to deal with the fear. In this way, the fear is a trail of breadcrumbs to the courage that is yet to be. The fear is present The courage is not yet. So the fear, the willingness to understand it as an illusion and to work with it, means the fear now becomes a trail of breadcrumbs to courage that does not yet exist but is ready to be manifest. So we need to also understand that where courage is not yet present, then our heart is closed or disengaged, or doubting in some way. So, in other words, the fact that the fear has arisen implies the heart is somehow closed, or doubting, or disengaged. And so the reason to follow the breadcrumbs of the fear to the courage that's waiting to be realized is because the heart is waiting to be opened. The doubt in the heart is waiting to be clarified and to brought forward. And where we are disengaged in the heart, we are waiting to engage with life. And this is why, from a shamanic perspective, it is critically important not to to ignore fear or step away from it, but to understand it as the path, the trail of breadcrumbs to the heart and the courage that lives in the heart because without that courageous heart the effort to live your soul's purpose will fall short that we need this courageous open loving powerful heart with vision and wisdom to be able to do what we've come here to do so courage then is intimacy with fear And strength is intimacy with weakness. And in this way, we see that the warrior is mutually dependent on her weakest self. That the fear dances with the courage and weakness dances with the strength. And they emerge out of each other. So to follow the breadcrumbs to the weakest self, the self we are most afraid of, is to honor the vulnerable steps that will lead to reclaiming the missing heart. And in reclaiming that missing energy of the heart, 
we, it leads us to our true power, the true power of the heart. So a true warrior or a shamanic warrior, spiritual warrior, understands that it is by taking the vulnerable steps, the steps we are most afraid of taking. Um, by taking these steps, we follow the breadcrumbs that lead back to where we are not whole. And in that, it leads back to where the power is waiting. And so fear, fear leads us to where we have not yet shown up in our power, in our courage, in our heart. And so to let fear make us afraid and go off on all of these strange tangents people go into when they're afraid is, is not only to waste an enormous amount of time and energy going off on all those weird tangents, but you miss the trail and it's just breadcrumbs. They'll be gone in a heartbeat. And so developing this intimate relationship with fear is critically important. Because we must stun that, understand that ego in itself is the denial of these vulnerable steps that lead to power. That the refusal to take these steps will divert you from your destiny. Fear will divert you from your destiny if you do not understand how to be in right relationship with it. But if you go to the heart of fear and follow the breadcrumbs, then you take those steps that lead you to your destiny. But in the refusal to take these steps, we are each diverted from our destiny. Now, to divert anyone from their destiny is really the only shamanic sin. To stand in the way of someone and their destiny, their soul's purpose, is probably the only shamanic sin. So by not taking the vulnerable steps that lead to power, we are being cowardly. And this is challenging because there is an idea that what is manly or strong is to not feel our feelings. And what this is saying about warriorship is that actually the vulnerable steps, whatever they are, are required for the courageous heart and for the true power. And that we take them again and again in our life as they arise is what cultivates the true inner strength of the warrior. And to not take the vulnerable steps is cowardly. And the actions that inevitably result instead are evil. That warriorship requires intimacy with fear so that we can take the vulnerable steps. And when we refuse to do that, we start compensating in fear-based ways. And out of those actions, evil arises. Because from a shamanic perspective, evil arises out of human beings' poor choices. And our poor choices are almost always fear-based. And so in warriorship, in true warriorship, we are dancing with destiny. We are dancing with the courage and the power that is there. And in fear, we are being shown the power and the courage that could be there, but aren't yet. And so what we need to learn to do is to let fear show us the path. So we're not 
diverted away from fear or away from whatever it is that is bringing the fear up, but we move intimate, into it. It is an intimate relationship. We move into it and discover the path to that power or that courage that has not yet been realized. And it is in that intimacy that we seek the heart of fear. And at the heart of fear is a feeling. And if we follow that feeling to its source within us, we will meet a disowned self, a misformed belief, some understanding about the world that is not accurate. So if we follow that feeling that we found at the heart of fear, if we follow it to its source within us, we will meet some disowned aspect of ourself or our heart or power. And by being accountable to these feelings, these vulnerable steps, by being accountable to these feelings, we are being accountable to our true self, our true power, our true heart. And this discipline takes great courage. The willingness to take these steps is in and of itself a discipline. And that discipline takes great courage. So fear is meant to warn us of danger, not make us afraid of it. And this is the right relationship with fear from a shamanic perspective. Any aspect of warriorship um, is really the mastery of this right relationship with fear. Or an aspect of warriorship is the mastery of a right relationship with fear. And understanding the distinctly different sensation of real fear and the fears that are our illusions is another aspect of warriorship. To be able to feel in yourself the distinct difference between one of those real fears arising and responding to it and these fears that in fact we're meant to be suspicious of. So what of fear and its sad and overachieving cousins, depression and anxiety? What do we make of that? So if you find fears under the wet blanket of depression, then you are looking at being deeply in debt with yourself. Um, or another way to say that would be overdue in taking the vulnerable steps and following the breadcrumbs back to yourself. So it's not that you haven't noticed the fears, but the fears arise and instead of following the breadcrumbs, instead of taking those vulnerable steps, the fear gets pressed down and sort of laid over with this big wet blanket of life called depression. And so the path out of that is to begin to trust the feelings your work, you have been working so hard to not feel. And to let them be those vulnerable steps. And potentially to understand maybe you're not able in the beginning to do that yourself. Maybe you will need support. But if you do find your fears lead under that big old wet, heavy, stinky wool blanket of depression. Then you are looking at a deep, deep debt to yourself a long list of vulnerable steps that need to be taken. And the list should not um, intimidate you. Just take a step. 
And that what we find as we grow better and better able to take these vulnerable steps, that we begin to see themes and patterns and begin to become able to take steps in a way that move patterns of energy, not just specific events, but in the beginning to follow the simple line of breadcrumbs from one fear back to yourself, your true self that you've not yet owned and acknowledged. This in and of itself is a great act of courage and it takes discipline and it is worthy of your time and energy. So what of fears overachieving cousin anxiety? So if you find yourself experiencing anxiety, then, then, then there is a fear of fear itself, which is entirely circular and thus explains the escalating nature of most people's experience of anxiety. So anxiety is the fear of your innate warrior nature and how that innate uh, warrior nature drives you towards your destiny. And that appears to put you at odds with the means by which your ego has sorted out how to survive in the world. So there's a fear of that fear that your innate warrior nature keeps marching you up to. And this is the circular nature of anxiety from, from this particular perspective. And so the healing then of the anxiety is to understand it as a sign that there is a warrior within you and to trust that innate nature. You already know where the logic of the anxiety takes you because it takes you to the same place every time. You have to trust the innate nature of the warrior and that possibility that only through the warrior will you find another path out, a path different from the anxiety path. Not better than or worse than, just different. One that will lead you to a different place. And along this path, you may find yourself and your heart because you know Having run that path of anxiety thousands of times, you're not on that path. There's nothing to find there. You've been around that track hundreds, thousands of times. You already know what's there and what you need isn't there. So trust your own innate warrior nature. We all have it. Trust it. It will take you somewhere different somewhere foreign and new relative to the path of your anxiety. But anxiety itself is fear of that nature and the knowing that that nature will take you through the house of cards, the house of glass, the house of mirrors of your ego will take you through that structure and help you come hell or high water to find again the path to your destiny. Your ego doesn't really care about your destiny, by the way. I hope by now, two years into this show, we've already established that. Your ego cares about its own survival. And thus, the beauty of it. It's a good thing to have in a healthy relationship. But when it's allowed to define reality for you, it grow, life grows very limited, very small. And thus, a reason to give some rain, to give some energy and some freedom to your innate warrior nature. 
The full healing of either of these all too common contemporary states will require warriorship. And this is one of many things that comes from the four-year training that I do. It's not a certification in becoming a shamanic healer. It's, a, it's an experience with other people on the journey of regaining your own innate warrior nature, your innate healer, your innate teacher and leader, and your innate visionary, so that you have what it takes to do what you've come here to do. But at the essence of all of it is basic innate warriorship and learning to face your fears, as we've discussed today. That you will show up and be present, that you will honor your boundaries and the boundaries of others, and that you will align your words and actions, and you will do whatever it takes to be present for yourself. And given, given the topic of the show today, then the next step is to follow the breadcrumbs. So why? Why should you bother? Other than freedom from depression or anxiety or even getting your true self out of the shadow, any of the many of the things we've actually talked about today, why should you bother? Other than all of that, why? Joy. Joy comes from being accountable to your life, and that is a daily act of warriorship. Joy comes from intimacy with your wounds, from taking the vulnerable steps, and from following the breadcrumbs. Because joy only comes from being accountable to yourself. Joy is a spontaneous response to life when you are accountable to each phase of of your life. And joy comes only from true and balanced warriorship. Joy happens. There is nothing you can do to create it apart from your accountability to your life, your feelings, and the vulnerable steps that guide you there. Joy happens because you chose to participate. Thank you all for joining me here this week. I thank the ancestors for being with us here today, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I thank all of you who have donated to the show that keep the show going. That show site is whyshamanismnow.com. And for more information about the classes that I've mentioned here today, my website is lastmaskcenter.org. And please remember to share the information about the show with others. Next week, we will continue to deepen our exploration of the realm of the warrior. And we'll talk about doing whatever it takes and how that is a completely different act than doing it at all costs. Have a lovely week, everyone. You're listening to the Co-Creator Network because Because you you do create create your own reality. reality.